The New Testament has over 1,300 direct quotes or references to the Old Testament. Uh, a few things I jotted down before we get into our first verse. 53 times in our Bible we see the word, we see the phrase, the Scriptures. The Scripture or the Scriptures. 80 times we see the phrase, it is written. It is written. That's uh, script, script. Script is written. Okay? 19 times we see the phrase in our Bible, might be fulfilled. Might be fulfilled. That'd be scripture, written text. Uh, four times we see the phrase, lively oracles or oracles of God. And 48 times we find the phrase in our Bible, Word of God. We have a book we can trust. God, help me tell the truth from your word as we look at your text, your scriptures, your written word, your oracles, your word, the fulfillment of it, what has been written. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We've talked about this so many times. We have a God-breathed book. You believe that? God-breathed, God-inspired. Now, where do you find that verse in the Old Testament? I'm going to show you a couple of verses and we'll wrap this thought up on this text. Go back to the book of Genesis. I got a, a God-inspired, a God-breathed book. Second... Uh, chapter of Genesis. Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy 3. But Genesis 2, watch what it says in verse number 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a what? Living soul. God inspired life by breathing into man's nostrils, God's breath gave man life. The first man. By God. <laughs> Pretty good, wouldn't you say? God breathed and man became a living soul. Now, go to John chapter number 20. Uh, go to John chapter number 20. Watch this one. John 20, look at verse number 22. John 20, verse number 22. Um, this is already, Jesus had already completed His earthly ministry. Jesus had already suffered and died on the cross. Jesus had already been buried and rose again. Jesus already ascended to heaven. Now He's back down on the earth and He says this. In John 20, verse number 22. He says, and when he had said this, uh, well, first he says in verse 21 at the end, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And you know what happened? You know what needed to happen for a New Testament church 
to become a living organism. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. But what makes you and I different than everybody else walking around that's lost? What do we have? The indwelt Holy Spirit. When you get saved, do you receive that? You do. When I got saved, I received that. You know what had to happen for Christ's living organism? Remember we talked about that this morning? We are not an organization. We are a living organism, His church. You know what had to happen? They had to get the breath of life from God. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And you have a living organism because God inspired it. God breathed it. Genesis 2, God gave man the breath of life. That's a Gentile man. There was no nation of Israel. John chapter number 20, verse 22, Christ breathed on them. They received what? The Holy Ghost. Everything that needed to be accomplished to have a living organism, His church, by this point in John 20, had been accomplished. But I got one more for you. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. We have three distinctions made in our Holy Bible. The Jew, the Gentile, and then the church of God. Adam was the first Gentile man. No Jewish nation has been, uh, has been called out yet. We looked at the church in John 20. God breathed on him. We look at Adam. He, God breathed. Gave him the breath of life. Now Ezekiel 37, look at verse 5. This is a prophetic look at God's nation, Israel. Right now, Israel is a state on our map that has been designated because of a political deal through the United Nations. That nation doesn't have life. doesn't have spiritual life. We can make some application concerning God's providential hand in that. However, if you were to go into Google Maps right now or any map, the border that you see on the state of Israel isn't the borders that God set in His Holy Word. It's much bigger than what we see. I have to say that to set the context for Ezekiel 37 because this text has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled. And that nation will receive life when? When God does something to that nation, let's read it in verse number 30, uh, in Ezekiel 37, verse number 5. Uh, let's back up to number 4. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's the nation. Scattered bones are now going to be gathered bones. Verse number five, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause what to enter into you? Breath. God said, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall what? Live. Now we started in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed, right? Amen. We went to Genesis 2. We saw that man became a living soul when God breathed on man. We looked at John 20 where the church became a living organism when God breathed the Holy Spirit onto them. 
We looked at now Ezekiel 37, a prophetic look at God's nation of Israel. And they are going to have life enter them when God does what? Breathes on them. We have a God-breathed book. He can breathe life into man. He can breathe life into his church. He can, bring, he can breathe life into his nation. And I'm telling you, on the authority of God's word, he can breathe life into his holy scripture, his word. And we have a God-breathed, God-inspired book produced by God. And because God breathed it, because God inspired it, it has life. Holding forth the word of life. Life. Hebrews 4. Look at another, another application in Hebrews 4. You'll also need Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. And Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Hebrews 4, Isaiah 49, and Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. We'll do Hebrews 4 first. Hebrews 4, look at verse number 12. Remember we talked about 48 times the Word of God, that phrase shows up. Verse number 12 is one of those instances. The Bible says, Hebrews 4, 12, For the Word of God is quick, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That means right now it currently is, and if someone picks up this book and reads it, they will have their heart and the intents of it discerned. <laughs> That's the Word of God. Now, that's the New Testament. Where do we find it in the Old Testament? The New Testament confirms the Old Testament is inspired and vice versa. So we have the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword in Hebrews 4.12. Now, go to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Look at this. Verse number one. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. The bowels of my mother hath he mentioned of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp what? Sword. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. Made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And he said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. And in vain, 
Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Now we got a prophetic look at Christ. We also have, when that prophet spoke the word of God, his mouth was made like what? A sharp sword. The New Testament confirms the Old Testament and, the, and vice versa. That's where you get that Isaiah 49, verse number 2 is our cross-reference. Here's something else that will help us get hold of the idea just how sharp and powerful and piercing. Go to Ecclesiastes 12. We'll look at that verse. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. The Bible says, The words of the wise are as goads. That's a, that's a, that's a rod with a spike on the end of it. Because if you need your cattle to go a certain way, you, you hit them with that goad. The words of the wise are as goads. Wise words are designed to make an impression on someone in, in, in like manner as a goad would make an impression when you're trying to move livestock. It's going to pinch a little bit. It's going to have a little bit of pain, but it's healthy pain. It's good. That's the word of God. That's what it means in Hebrews 4.12 and it says it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. You see that? You speak those words, they're sharp and piercing words. Ouch, that, that hurt me. Yeah, but it's good for you. How many of you read the Bible and you get to a chapter and a verse and you read it? You might not say this out loud, but you think this. Ouch, man, that's convicting, Lord. Have you done that? That's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's an example of that. It's, it's as if, it's as if, brother, somebody came over with a long rod with a spike on the end and said, here, keep moving this way. <laughs> That's what God's Word does. It gives you a little, you, you, you move in that direction. And then it says, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Who's our good shepherd? The Lord Jesus Christ. What does he want of his assemblies? He wants them to just be loosey-goosey, just all over the place, right? No. He wants them fixed. He wants them immovable from the truth of his word, like a nail would fasten something. God's word is so sharp that not only can it pierce but it can fasten you so that you'll be fixed and not moved with the culture's influence. He wants you fixed and fastened on Him. And His Word can do that. Now, have you start... Go to John 10. Have you, are you starting to see why so many churches are moving off of the Word of God and onto a screen. Do you understand why 
It's 35 minutes of performance and bands playing and singers swaying and dancers dancing. And then 15 or 20 minutes of announcements about all of the fun stuff we're going to do. And then a 15-minute talk that's mostly stories and humor and maybe one or two verses on a screen. You, you understand? You, you understand? It's by design they're trying to get you off of the Word of God. They don't want you on the Word of God. It's too much for them. That's why the sermon is a, a short a real, something you can scroll through real fast. Now, you think that the uh, people that came to hear Whitfield preach in the open fields and hear Wesley preach, do you think they showed up and said, you know, you've gone on about 10, 15 minutes. I think, you, I think it's about time you wrap it up there, Mr. Whitfield. He couldn't preach behind a pulpit, so you know what he did? He took the Word of God out where? To the open fields. And people came, and they listened, and they wept, and he did it without microphones. People were thirsty and hungry for the Word of God, and they came, and they listened, and it was hot. Or it was cold. John 10, let's look at this one. John 10, verse 34. John 10, 34. We see another reference to Scripture. John 10, 34, Bible says, Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I said, your gods, if you call them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken. I believe that. I'm sure you believe that. But look at verse 25. Jesus said, I told you, and you believe not. That's verse 25. He said some words to him. He told him some things. They didn't want to believe. Look at verse 27. He said, My sheep hear my voice. What do you think they were hearing? Words from our Lord's voice. They heard words. Look at verse 30. Man, this just blew them out of the water. By the time Jesus gets to verse 30, they're just, those Jews, they're done. They can't take it. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. You ever try reading that verse to a Jehovah's Witness? You probably get about as far as I did. Well, that's not really what he meant. I, what else would that mean? <laughs> I don't care what Greek lexicon you have. It's all going to mean the same thing. I and my Father are one. Jesus claimed equality with the Father, and those Jews went ballistic the same way the J-dubs do. You know what they said? And then the Jews took up stones again to stone them. They wanted to kill our Savior because he claimed equality with God. 
because he's God. Amen. When you get to 34, Jesus calls them out because, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You Jews have a problem with me claiming equality with God. Let me get this straight. I and my Father are one. That's what Jesus said. I'm saying I am God, and you fellows want to kill me. Are we, just so we're clear, and that's about what happened, right? He blew him out of the water because he quoted Scripture. And you know where he quoted it from? Let's go there to Psalm 86. And this is what is so magnificent about God's holy word. Psalms 86 is about judgment. Uh, Psalms 82, I'm sorry, Psalms 82 um, is about judgment, not Psalms 86. My mistake. Psalms 82, watch what it says in verse 1. God standeth, now, there, now, in John 10, these Jews are judging Jesus. When he quotes Scripture, he quotes Psalms 82, which is about judgment. And watch what he says. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. What do you notice about the word gods in that text? It's a lowercase g. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. What's the congregation of the mighty? That's his nation. He calls his nation, he owns Israel, his nation, as his congregation. And go to Numbers 27 so I can show you this. Numbers 27, keep your finger in Psalms 82. And go to, go to, um, go to Numbers 27. Look at this here. All right, I think I'm just about there. Numbers 27. Numbers 27, verse number 16. Numbers 27, verse 6, uh, verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. It was God's congregation, the nation, which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in that the congregation of the Lord, it was the Lord's congregation, his nation, be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And so the judges in Psalms 82, we're going to see here, the judges are considered or called by God, gods. You have the nation of Israel. It was God's congregation. And he had judges over that congregation. 
And he says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. In other words, think about that. God says, look, because you guys can't judge righteously, I have to come and do it right. It's showing God as the righteous judge. That's Psalms 82. Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy. Verse 4, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Now, let's stop, pause, and park. This next verse, I want you to get this. In John 10, we see the cross-reference right here. In verse number 6, Psalms 82, this is what Jesus is quoting from in John 10. Verse number 6, here's the verse. I have said, ye are gods. And all of you are children of the Most High. You know what that you know what Jesus meant? You know what God meant in Psalms 82? I've put you over my congregation. You're supposed to speak and judge on my behalf. Why does he quote Psalms 82? when he's dealing with these Jews in John 10. Because the Jews went irate when Jesus claimed equality with God, but if they would have known their own scriptures, how come you fellows didn't get irate when I called you as gods? And Jesus calls them out on it. Now, Jesus, as the righteous judge, gave them a little G title, and they were supposed to stand in his place and judge righteously. And we see that through this psalm. But God calls out these Pharisees. The judgment was supposed to be a representation of their God, but it wasn't. Deuteronomy 1 and 2 Chronicles 19. Deuteronomy 1 and 2 Chronicles 19. We'll do Deuteronomy 1 first. Deuteronomy 1, verse number 17. Look at this. Verse 16. Deuteronomy 1, verse 16. And I charged your judges at the time, saying, Here are the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Did God give his nation's judges to judge righteously? Yeah, we get that, right? Look at verse 17. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man for the judgment is God's. You're supposed to represent me and not show any bias 
And you're supposed to judge righteously because the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me and I will hear it. 2 Chronicles 19. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 6. The Bible says, And said the judges, Take heed what ye do, for ye judge not for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now, without beating a dead horse, who are they supposed to be judging for, on behalf of, in representation of? God! Everybody get it? I think we get it. So, here's, here's a question. When people say, God doesn't want us to judge, we just ran one, two, three, four, five, but six verses that says otherwise. God gave judges over his nation so they would judge in representation of him, and he called them gods in Psalms 82. And Jesus has to quote Psalms 82 because the Jews in John 10 go irate when Jesus claims equality with the Father and claims, I am God. Psalms 82, go there one more time. Verse number 6. I have said your gods and all of your children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. God ordains the powers of princes. But those little G judges and those little G gods are all going to die because they're just men. And look, the job I gave you to judge here on the earth, it's going to come to an end. I hope you did what I asked you to do. And that pretty much shut up the Jews when John in John 10. You can trust this book because God, Jesus is walking around on this earthly ministry. John 10, he runs into these Jews. They don't believe him. And he goes back and he quotes the Old Testament. They should have known it. And as soon as they heard it, they, I'm sure they knew it, pricked them in their heart. They just got more irate and upset at our Lord and eventually put them on the cross for it. They wanted to trip Jesus up with the Word, but He was the Word. And he used their scripture to do it. Okay, let's do a few more and we'll close out. Acts 17. Acts 17. <clears throat> and with Acts 17, get Proverbs 2. Acts 17 and Proverbs 2. Acts 17, verse number 11. You know this text very well. Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. 
Well, what scriptures did they search? First and second Peter wasn't written. First, second, third John wasn't written. Jude, Hebrews, Revelation wasn't written. What were they searching? Well, by and large, you have mostly what's left Old Testament Scripture. <laughs> you have some other things that were penned prior to that, New Testament, but they were searching the Scriptures. By and large, it was Old Testament Scripture. And why are they commended? Because they received the Word, they received the Scriptures with a mind that was ready and they also did another thing. It's one thing for... Uh, it's one thing if Brother Danny comes over my house. He knocks on my door and he says, Here, uh, I've got a gift for you. I know you've been having a hard time getting some of these trees down. Here's a chainsaw. And he gives me that gift, and I receive it with all readiness of work ethic. <laughs> I'll receive that gift. That's one thing. We should want to receive the word. But here's the other thing. Let's say I'm out in the woods with that said chainsaw, and I get deep in the forest and I get lost. And he comes searching for me. He is searching the scripture. He's searching the forest. He's searching the woods, trying to find where I'm at. And you know what God commends these uh, Thessalonians, uh, these Bereans? They're noble. Why? Because they search. They get in the scriptures and they start digging and they start searching and they're trying to find the lost truth. It's not lost. We just haven't found it. And God commends that. He wants us to search. You know where else we get that? We don't have a direct quote, but we have a reference to it in Proverbs chapter 2. Let's go there. Proverbs 2. The New Testament confirms the inspiration of the Old Testament and vice versa. Proverbs 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifted up thy voice for understanding, here it is, if thou seekest her as silver, my son, if thou wilt receive my words, son, daughter, will you receive my words? Oh, yes, dad. Okay, will you also do this? If thou seekest her as silver, will you seek the word? And searches for her as for hid treasure, as for hid treasures? Will you seek and search the words, or will you just receive my word, son? Will you just receive my word, daughter? Acts 17:11, searching the scriptures can be found in not a direct quote, but a reference to receiving the word and searching for the word in Proverbs chapter number two. It's truth like you would try to go and find a silver nugget that's hidden. That's the word. Search it. Don't just receive it. Search it. Last one. 
Mark 7. Mark 7. With Jeremiah 8. Mark 7 with Jeremiah 8. I know I'm asking to look at some Old Testament cross-references that you that we typically and ordinarily don't go to when we preach these New Testament verses, but they're so vitally important to draw out this truth. Look at Mark 7. Who would, who would go from Mark 7 to Jeremiah 8? God. Now watch it. Mark 7, verse 13. Watch, watch what the Lord does. He says, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Why do you do what you do? Tradition. Okay, is it anywhere in the Bible? No. Does it go against the Bible? Yeah, but it's our tradition. Oh, okay, well you've made the word of God of none effect. Help us not to get into that boat. Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which you have delivered and many such like things you do. Now watch the Jeremiah 8. Watch what God says here through the prophet's voice. Jeremiah 8 verse 8. Jeremiah 8 verse 8. How do you say we are wise with the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, watch this. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? The only thing left that's in them is just what they've always, just their tradition of what they've always done. And when that's what you're left with, you've made the Word of God of none effect. If you receive it, and if you search it, and if you don't make it You know, you can go into um, a Japanese home and you can have all the Japanese Eastern religious gods. And uh, Roger and Tony, we can take a missions trip over to Japan and we can go over and if we had an interpreter, we can let them know about Jesus. And they will be agreeable to put Jesus up on their shelf with all their other Eastern mystic gods and relics and all that. They won't have a problem with that. Except when that's all done, Sister Tony and Brother Roger are going to go up to the shelf and they're going to go like this. And then they're going to turn and say, they all have to come down. 
We don't have a God that's added to all the little G gods because your culture and your tradition and the way that you've always done it, it can't stay up there. It has to come down and there's only one God. Now you just created a whole mess. Why? Because the exclusivity of the gospel does that. And God says, if you have tradition and it doesn't line up with my word, you have made my word of none a fact. Football games on Super Bowl Sunday uh, with punting footballs. Uh, this church did, uh, it's not a church. People refer to it as a church. It's not a church. Crossroads Church is a sanctuary of Satan. It's of the devil. It's not a church. They're punching the word of God because their tradition says we can get more people to come in if we just make it a really good fun game day. Liars. Brother, Helicopters over the church house on Ishtar Sunday, Easter Sunday, sorry, had a 40 and tongue slip, and dropping eggs because we can get the community to come out and sit on a bunny's lap and rabbits don't lay eggs? No, we're not. Why? Because tradition makes the Word of God of none effect. The Word of God doesn't take a back seat to a bunny. Is that okay to say on a Sunday afternoon? Why, it's tradition. Tradition. And God says you make the word of God of none effect. I know I get on these holidays to spoil because some people just wears them out. I'll, I'll get off of it, okay? We'll wind it. I'll take it. I'll wind it back. And just we, we had some coffee after lunch, so just a little, a little caffeinated. <laughs> we... We, if you have a tradition that doesn't violate the Word of God, like having a two o'clock afternoon service instead of a six o'clock, or vice versa, fine. But when you have a tradition that goes against the Word of God, you have to knock everything off of the shelf Every tradition that goes against the Word of God, you've got to knock it down or you risk. The consequence will be this book, His Word, will have none effect. It has to be number one. You've got to receive it. You've got to search it. And you better make sure it doesn't take a back seat to your or I's tradition.